If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, Goldman Sachs number two Gary Cohn might be leaving the firm for a job with the Trump administration. What does that mean for Gary? What does that mean for the firm? And also, how is the Trump administration going to change what goes on on Wall Street and which banks are going to benefit the most from that? That is coming up. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hey, hi everybody out there in podcast land. This is Paul Vigna here in the studio in New York City in December on a uh, slushy, rainy, I guess it's getting warmer out there, kind of December day here in New York City in the holiday season. And I'm actually alone today. Stephen Grosser is off. I was off last week. Now Steve's taking a few days off. Everyone has to pretty much stagger our holidays here to make sure that people are on the desk at all times because we never... Want to miss anything going on in the markets, anything going on. We want to have our podcasts ready, our blogs ready. And and this week, you know, interestingly this week, we're going to be really fixated on on two numbers. One is, is uh, they were talking about it at a Friday's podcast, Dow 20,000. Uh, we are keeping an eagle eye out for that one. And that one doesn't, the markets aren't really moving today at all. So I don't know what's going to happen. There. The other one, though, is interesting is Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is on the verge of trading at $250,000. And it actually, it, it might be doing it while we're sitting here taping this podcast. I asked Eric Holm to look it up. Uh, actually, I didn't even have to ask him to look it up. He's totally, he's got posts, right? He's like keeping an eye on it. Uh, and it was $250 away when I just walked up here to tape it. So it might even hit it. And if it does hit it, we'll probably get Eric and some other folks on to talk about it. But what we're going to talk about today Interestingly enough, another uh, we're going to go a little bit of field here because politics and Wall Street are mixing. As you know, Donald Trump is putting together a transition team. He is proposing people to fill key roles within the administration. And one of them is someone that Wall Street will be very interested in. And to help us talk about that, we have uh, our banking reporter, Liz Hoffman. Liz, how are you? Hi, Paul. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Uh, Liz and I used to sit right next to each other back in the day. It's true. I miss you, Paul. I know. I know. And now you've moved, what, 25 feet away? It's true. But I sit next to our other guest today. Yes. Who is our banking editor, Aaron Lucchetti. Aaron. Good to be here. Thanks, Paul. A well-known voice to our uh, podcasters. So good to see you again. How are you? Good, good. Nice to be here. Uh, Gary Cohn. Liz, why don't you explain to me who he is, why he matters, and and what the the story is. Why don't you lay it out for us? He is uh, still, as of this taping, I believe, the the number two at Goldman Sachs. He is uh, Lloyd Blankfein's top deputy, has been for the better part of a decade, um, and he is heading to the Trump administration as a senior economic advisor to the president. Right. We... Think has he been formally announced? No. It feels it feels fairly baked at this point, but um, but no, no formal word. Yeah. So it's what's interesting. I think you start getting into this is like he is certainly not the first person with Goldman ties to be brought into the Trump administration. Uh, do we want to go there first, or do we want to talk? No, about... No, well, he's not. But he's he's by far the most uh, the most senior, right? The two names right. that everyone has said are Goldman folks haven't been at Goldman in quite a long time. Yeah. Um, Steve Mnuchin was there. Uh, in the 90s, uh, left more than a decade ago, uh, and, and Steve Bannon was there Bannon for a couple the years one, right. in the 80s and uh, was, I believe, a vice president when he left, and Goldman has about 10,000 of those. 
Right, but I mean, it's it's telling that um, you know a couple of weeks into the the Trump uh, transition that that we have two, maybe three Goldman names now in the mix, uh, and Gary Cohn would be a, a fairly uh, fairly prominent one, although he wouldn't come in with a level of seniority or sort of title that that Mnuchin uh, would get if he gets uh, confirmed to be treasurer in the right, administration. Right, right. He is the current number two, so definitely. You know, very much uh, lives and breathes Goldman and has for for decades, unlike yeah. uh, the the other two gentlemen that that Liz mentioned. Yeah, and for Goldman, how big a deal is this? I mean, like you said, he's the number two. He's just behind Lloyd Blankfein. Um, what is what does this mean for Goldman? I mean, are people people worried about it? Or, you know, like I mean, usually when a high ranking person leaves a company for any reason, there there's concern at the company. Well, Goldman uh, has has a very deep bench, and we'll tell you that when you ask. Uh, but what it means is that the game is on. It's a it's a place full of very ambitious people. Um, Lloyd Blankfein has been in that job for ten years. Other than um, than Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, he's the longest serving CEO of a, a major investment bank. And um, uh, you know, people have been waiting a long time for opportunities for promotion, and and there's been um, fairly stable leadership. Uh, for certainly Lloyd and, and his inner circle has not turned over all that much, uh, and it, it's created you know this kind of bottleneck of talent lower down, and it, it's um, it's caused some people to leave. Yeah, it's been one of the longer running parlor games on Wall Street. If people still have parlor games, and, and where Cohen goes, if he'll get the top job, he's been number two for a long time through mm-hmm. the crisis, and then you know through the post crisis years. Uh, Lloyd Blankfein has has indicated that he wants to stick around for a while longer. He likes the job. Um, you know, he still feels challenged by what's going on, and he, he's actually getting to a spot where, you know, some of the post-crisis headaches, uh, you know, Vampire Squid, all the mm-hmm. things about how Goldman handled itself during the crisis are starting to move behind the firm, and I think he feels like this would be a, a good time to stick around. So Cohen um, has been reported to be restless over the years about, well, what do I do? You know, do I stick it out and wait for Lloyd to retire? Right. And if that happens, would I get passed over? I think that's sort of something that goes on at every firm yeah, on Wall yeah. Street where there's a number two and a, you know, a, a person above you who, who well, is not going anywhere. And there's people, Brilliant. by the way, nipping at his heels, right? I mean, there's there's a younger generation of executives who um, have been sort of playing that, that same game in, in their own careers uh, and are looking for, for ways yeah. to move up. I mean, there's a real ping pong effect lower down of, of – uh, a departure like uh, okay three things have come to mind i want to say them all before i because i will forget them in two seconds i'm really bad about this i'm impressed you have all three <laughs> on top of mind i'm forgetting them already okay one is what this means for cohen one two is what you guys have both alluded to which is is who's below him and we can talk about that in a second and talk about cohen in a second and third i mean you said uh aaron you, know, you talk about lloyd Blankfein feeling that some of the goldman stuff is kind of passed over i'm wondering with all these names being floated within the Trump administration, Goldman, you know, Goldman names, there was a lot during the election about Hillary Clinton's ties to Wall Street and draining the swamp. And now you have three guys who have Goldman backgrounds. One is the number two at the firm, uh, possibly joining the administration. Does that kind of dredge up all this anti-Goldman stuff again? That's a good question. I mean, on that on that last point, there has been some commentary on that. I mean, Lloyd Blankfein was pretty firmly and publicly in Hillary's camp uh, pre-election. Uh, Cohn was much quieter and mm-hmm. has been, you know, more bipartisan. Had some Republican leanings over the years, so it's not as surprising to see him uh, being, you know, talked about for a, for a Trump administration spot. The other thing that's fascinating about it, though is how. Trump made Goldman and Lloyd personally sort of the poster child for Hillary's ties to Wall Street. And then post-election, he's he's been fairly um, open to bringing in 
Goldman people to, yeah. to help out. The firm historically has been bipartisan. Don't forget that when George W. Bush was in the White House, Hank Paulson from Goldman was the Treasury mm-hmm. Secretary. Joshua Bolton was an important economic aide also from Goldman. So the firm has had a lot of uh, heavy-hitting right, Republicans right. And, over and, the years, you know, too. Bob Rubin was in the Clinton administration, also right. a Goldman guy. Uh, we were talking to Aaron Lucchetti and Liz Hoffman about Gary Cohn possibly leaving Goldman Sachs, going to the Trump administration. Uh, you know, you, you talked a little bit about Gary's decision-making process, what he's thinking. Uh, what does this mean for him? I mean, being number two at Goldman Sachs, I would imagine, is a relatively lucrative position to, to occupy in this world. Going into government service is probably not quite as, as at least in the immediate term, right? Your paycheck won't be quite as high. Well, he's made a ton of money over the years, and he never has to work again if he doesn't want to. Um, anyone who was a partner at Goldman before it went public made made all the money they needed to make yeah. very early on. People like Gary, I assume, continue to work because they like it and they're challenged by it. Um, you know, he's got Goldman stock today that's worth over two hundred million dollars, um, and and you know, there's there's things that best behind that. So, uh, it, I, I think there's, it's not an economic decision for him. Uh, you know, he's not the first number two to have gotten restless. Um, you know, there were co his co-president for many years, this guy named John Winkleried, who left in 2009. And if you go back to, to when Paulson was running the firm, he had a pair of number twos, John Thane and John Thornton, both of whom left. So right. this is not the first time, you know, they elevate these these co-executives to kind of be the, the heirs apparent. Uh, and this is not the first time that both of them have gotten passed <laughs> over for, for the next round. Yeah, it's not that dissimilar to vice president in the political realm. I mean, you're always close to the throne, but it's not right. always a lock that you'll succeed the the person you're, uh, you're right, working right, for. Right, right, let's, right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the you know sort of palace intrigue within Goldman about who steps up uh, if Gary does indeed leave. And we'll also talk about how you know, the banking sector has been doing in the wake of the election and what it means for Goldman. Stick with us. We'll be back in a second. News on the go. Whenever you want it. Wherever you want it, WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul here in the studio with you today. Stephen is out on vacation. He'll be back later this week. So if you if you miss him, you'll get a chance to catch him. Just hold tight for a couple of days. And remember, look, if you want more great Wall Street Journal podcasts, and we really do like bringing these things to you. And we are actually, uh, we're just a, hey, hey Jennifer, Zorn, did we hit our one year anniversary? Is that exactly today or is it it's right around the, the right around the button? Yeah, we've been uh, back on the air as a podcasting network for just about one year. So we are very excited about the growth that we've been seeing and the response. We thank all of you for subscribing. We hope you'll stay with us. And if you want more Wall Street Journal podcasts, you can check us out. We are at WSJ.com slash podcasts. We have a lot out there to offer you. Not just, you know, market. I know you love your markets and you want your market friend. We'll bring it to you. But there's also there's uh, Your Money Matters. 
Well, that's kind of marketing related to. Uh, there's Free For All with Jason Gay, Speakeasy, Heard on the Street. That's kind of market related to. I mean, we are the Wall Street Journal after all. Uh, the Tech News Briefing, WSJ Opinion, What's News. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at WSJ Podcasts. You can subscribe so this stuff will come to you automatically. I'm not telling you anything you don't know about what subscribing means. Uh, you can become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and your Google Play Music app. And we are here in the studio today talking to Liz Hoffman and Aaron Lucchetti about Gary Cohen, Goldman Sachs, the Trump administration, and the banking sector. And we left it off. You guys had touched a little bit on who is in line to take Gary's job if he should leave. Let's talk about that a little more because I think it's really interesting. And I know, you know, I'm sure some of the folks out here are, are savvy Wall Streeters and understand what goes on inside a firm like Goldman Sachs. But, but maybe for people who aren't so much, talk about – not only the names that are being floated, but also what the breakdown within a firm looks like, a firm like Goldman Sachs looks like, what departments kind of jockey to have their person move into these higher echelon positions. Well, one interesting thing about Goldman right now is that both Lloyd, the CEO, and Gary Cohen, the number two, are traders. So there's sort of a lot of talent at the top from that division. If Gary leaves, a lot of the names that are being bandied about are from other parts of the firm. Um, the CFO, Harvey Schwartz, who mm-hmm. had a trading background but has been running the, the firm's finance operation, um, which deals a lot with regulators and capital levels and, and sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the, of, the, of the firm. He's a name that's been mentioned. And also um, another name that has come up is David Solomon, who comes from the investment banking side, um, which traditionally has been the yin and yang of, of Goldman, the banking and the trading. Um, and he would be the first banker to be CEO since um, – or to be elevated to number two right, and, and okay. a long time since Winklereed left during the crisis. So the, the power center tends, as Aaron said, to, to swing between investment banking and trading. And it tends to follow where the money is at the moment, right? So so um, Blank Fine got elevated in 2006. Um, he was elevated to COO a bit before that as sort of Wall Street's trading desks were on the upswing – uh, this is like the golden age of derivatives in the early 2000s, and at the same time that that the dot com bust had really taken uh, a bite out of investment banking revenues, IPOs and M and A and stuff like that. Um, you know, the previous CEO Hank Paulson was an investment banker and and took the throne when um, uh, after some trading losses in in Goldman uh, in in the mid and late 90s. So uh, you know, it it like Aaron said, it is kind of a yin and yang at the moment. It's hard to say because. Investment banking has really been um, the driver over the last couple of years. It's been a huge M and A boom, um, and it's it's much more profitable. It's still smaller; it has about half the revenue of the trading division, but but two or three times the profit. So, um, you know, depending on what happens with deregulation and a Trump administration, we could see trading back on the upswing. And so, you know, you you have to read the tea leaves a bit, but um, it seems like this one probably goes to investment banking for the moment. Yeah. And I want to get to uh, in a second. You kind of alluded to it there, Liz. Your, your story on C one today about what is what the the new administration will mean for the banks. But but just one more question: How competitive are these groups within a, within Goldman Sachs and other firms? How competitive are they with each other? Very extremely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, everyone wants the firm to do well because you know. In no small part because they're they're compensated in Goldman stock, um, but but trading versus banking is a is a, a com- competition that goes back you know years and years and years, uh, and it, uh, it 
it is very much alive and well. Now, there are, we should say, some other power centers at Goldman that have kind of cropped up. Um, their investment management division has been making more money. Uh, a lot of the employees there are technology folks. Um, so, you know, it, it's you could see some other names in the mix, but um, everyone I talk to, Harvey and, and David Solomon, are the two names that keep coming up, and yeah. they seem in line for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, Goldman and, and firms like Morgan Stanley and, and B of A and Citi, they're, they're essentially middlemen, and they're in between the investors on one side and the corporations on the other. So the bankers are dealing all day long and every day with the bank, with the corporations, the CEOs, the, the, the finance people at the GEs and GMs of the world, whereas the traders in addition to making money and making bets on where markets are going, are dealing primarily with the investor side, the hedge funds, the pension mm-hmm. funds, the folks who are putting money to work. So they deal with primarily different audiences. I mean, there's there's overlap and, and exceptions, but but they are different parts of the street and, and sort of by their nature look to the yeah. one way in, in an opposite direction. And have been sort of there's distinct cultures inside these big banks, right? I mean, we all think big global banks have both investment banking and trading uh, by nature, but there was a time that that wasn't true. Um, you know, traders are tend to be, um, they've got this sort of sharp elbowed sort of principal mentality. Right. Investment bankers, you know, for a long time, you know, didn't, didn't charge for M&A advice. I mean, very white shoe, very um, high touch. And so, you know, that's probably gotten diluted a bit over years, especially at Goldman, where people have moved fairly freely in, in prior um, years between them, um, Goldman has a habit of moving people around, but but I think there is still like a, a, a cultural distinction uh, on the ground between those two groups. Yeah, I love how when I asked that question, I could see both of your faces. You you were like you were like a tennis player when you see that easy lob coming and you know you've got the <laughs> the no doubt killer slam that you're just going to get. It, it was really funny. Both of you, like, like your eyes, kind of like that was the biggest, you know grapefruit thrown down the middle at you guys. It's like one-word answer or two-word answer. I'm not sure. <laughs> Which way do I do this? It's yeah. like in D.C., right? There's Democrats and Republicans, and that's like Goldman and Morgan, but there's also the House and the Senate, and that's the the, right. ba- the, the trading and banking, yeah. like within within the party. Well, let's talk a little bit about you. So you have a story today on C1, Liz, about what the, what's going to happen for the banks and how maybe some of the, the fortunes are shifting. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, the the... Trading is still the heart and soul of Wall Street. Um, it has certainly been crimped in the last couple of years, but it is still by far the biggest single pot of money. Um, it's been divvied up in interesting ways. Before the election, the, the trading desks that really had gained ground um, were those of J.P. Morgan, Citi, B of A, um, firms whose, whose trading clients, frankly, they're more companies, right? Big companies that... Um, because they do all of this kind of global cash management stuff for them and they're plugged into their treasurer's offices, they get a lot of what we call flow business, very like regular way, plain vanilla, low fee, but just a ton of volume. So when, you know, widget company is making widgets in, in uh, China and selling them in, in Turkey and England, they, t- they get all these currency hedges and they have all these risks that they need to kind of manage. And so they, they do this very regular way trading. Uh, that has been great for um, for those banks and has really hurt Goldman and Morgan Stanley, who rely very heavily on hedge funds who are making these big, complicated, exotic bets. Can I right. can I get wonky for just one second here? Um, you can get wonky for more than for a more second. than a second. Okay, for maybe a minute or two. So, Goldman Sachs came out of the crisis with such with such momentum. Their, their trading was doing so well that their profits in two thousand nine. Uh, were greater than J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley combined. You could say the, wow. those are probably their two biggest rivals. Yeah. So they were just killing it in 2009. Now, the trading has gotten tougher kind of 
each year since then. Dodd-Frank, Basel Capital Rules, just investor appetite, long period of low interest rates that, that didn't go anywhere and, and markets right. kind of grinding higher on the equity side. That was not a great environment for Goldman. It was manageable for J.P. Morgan and City, but it wasn't good for Goldman. So they were in '09. They were killing it in 2015. Uh, their r- profits were less than a third of J.P. Morgan plus Morgan Stanley. Wow. So they they've had some tough years. I mean, they they've survived. They've they've done okay. They've sort of grounded out. But this has not been a good period for Goldman. The hope is with a return of volatility to the markets and maybe some unpredictability and Trump doing what he does. Uh, there'll be more investor activity. 3 a.m. tweets. <laughs> right, 24-hour trading, no yeah, doubt. Right, right. That, that this will be good for Goldman because investors will have to be nimble. They'll have to be changing right. their positions. They'll have to be you know going long and short and hedging a lot, and that will help Goldman. So that that's the thesis. And, and this is that whole thing. You know, and we've had a, a, we've talked about this on this podcast a lot about passive investing versus active, the way this market is just structured now. It's been much easier for people to just kind of buy the index funds and just let it all sit there. More everything in the market was going in the same direction at the same time. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of what you guys are alluding to, right? Yeah, and and look, Goldman fought that for some time, right? They really, I think, more than many any other bank, kind of assumed that things would go back to the way that they were. Uh, they did have to, you know, in the past year or so, they've been thinking a bit about how to sort of broaden their their client mix and um, get. You know, some more business from, from, as you say, some passive asset managers from corporations. Uh, they've been leaning on the investment bank a bit. But look, Trump's election kind of raises questions about whether that's actually needed. Because if, um, you know, if your core hedge fund clients are going to come back and pay you just like gobs of money to, to create these really complicated structural bets for them, um, you don't need to pick up nickels from, from GM buying a, a, you know, a, a Chinese currency yeah. hedge. And, and so, how soon does. Does a shift like this start to show, or has it started to show already? Well, the markets have been indicating that they think this could be a thing because yeah. Goldman's outperformed some of the other banks since since the election. But you know, t- time will tell. I mean, there's so much unknown about what what Trump will actually do. I mean, how much will he roll back Dodd Frank? How successful will, we, will he be in those efforts if he goes down that road? Will the Volcker rule be relaxed? Uh, will it be altogether repealed? If that's the case, that'll be a huge advantage for. Mm-hmm. Banks like Goldman that have a lot of trading background and in, in, in making money and investing and lending. So, those are all unknowns at this point. Um, you know, there have been some indications that that the Trump administration will try to roll back Dodd Frank, but but we haven't seen as much talk of just outright repeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, some of the banks last week at this conference that we wrote about uh, were saying, "Don't don't throw it out completely. Let's let's be judicious about this. We've done a lot of investment to kind of become compliant with all these right, different right. parts of Dodd Frank." So. Let's be careful what we take apart and how it could be a little bit like a regulatory Jenga. You know, you, you don't yeah. want to like screw things up. Uh, you know, but we'll see. It's also worth noting that, that this is one corner of the banking world where Goldman probably has more to gain than others. There are other pockets. Um, you know, for example, if interest rates do go up, uh, Goldman's not a huge lender, not going to do that much for them. It's yeah. going to be huge for for banks like B of A and J P yeah. Morgan. So you kind of have to take it business by business. But you know, as Aaron said, Goldman was incredibly reliant on trading profits to generate. Uh, you know, return on equity for them, and they've been more hurt by it in the last you know nine years than anybody else. So, uh, so you know, they'll they'll be very excited to see it come back. Make trading great again, <laughs> Paul. How do we get through this podcast without talking about the Giants and the Cowboys? That's the big upset. Oh, I was waiting for you to bring that one up. That was the big upset. Was that a beautiful game last night, or was that a beautiful game? A defensive struggle that was fun to watch. It that wasn't. Was... It was a tight, tense game. It was that a good was game. Old school, hard nosed football. It was football. That wasn't PlayStation football. It was football. 
I loved it. It was beautiful. decided by a crossbar. Decided Field by goal. a crossbar. Pretty exciting. Well, and some fantastic defense from the New York football team. And teams. a little play by Odell Beckham. And a big play by Odell. Yeah, I'm very excited about the Giants, man. Amped up. Got an Eagles fan in the house. I know. She's, she's kind of quiet. Kind of cool. quiet. How do the Eagles do on Sunday? I don't want to talk about it. You don't? I don't want to talk about football. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, it was a great football game, but what you guys have given us today on the Banks was much more interesting, and I thank you both for it. Liz Hoffman, Aaron Lucchetti, thank you for coming in today, spending a little time. I know you guys are always busy. Thanks, Paul. Yep. Great to be here. Oh my God, you coordinated that so well, too. The, that, that thing. It's the it reporter, a, deputy editor thing. After yeah. a while, you just start finishing each other's sentences. Wow, yeah. it's impressive. All right, everyone, thank you for listening, as always, and we'll catch up with you very soon. Got an Amazon Echo or an Amazon Tap? Listen to the Wall Street Journal as part of your flash briefing. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.